Good evening, church. Thank you. I hope you are ready to do exactly what this song says. Where it says, I just came to praise the Lord. Are you ready? Let's begin. I just we pray most gracious heavenly father we come before you now we do we just want to praise you and we want to honor you because you are our god and and we are your people we pray father that that might always be the truth that that you continue to look over us and care for us as a father would and that we might continue to obey you as as children father we're we're so thankful for, for all the blessings that, that we have in this life. We're, we're so thankful for, for our homes. We're thankful for this quiet place that we have, that we can come here and, and, and meet. We're thankful for all the planning that it's taken over the years for this, for, for this building to be able to be here and these people that are, that are here that, that, that they're able to, to come and worship. We pray that we might always continue to be a light in this community. We're prayerful, Father, at this time, and we lift up all the names that are in our bulletin of the sick people. We especially want to, we especially want to mention Mitzi Robinson as she has, she has continues to to struggle with her cancer. Father, we also want to mention the the Lawrence family, as as Lillian has passed away this week. We know that there's much much distress and and. And in her passing, we pray that you'll continue to comfort that family and, and, and strengthen them. Father, as we go through the, part of the rest part of this week, we, we pray that you'll forgive us of our sins. Help us to always look to Jesus that, that as our sacrifice, that, that we might know that, that his blood continues to, to, to cleanse us. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. In that same thought, we're going to sing, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. All right, let's begin. Oh, how He loves you. 
This morning, uh, one of Matt's things he talked about was the uh, a tough time with loss and uh, certain things that remind remind you of someone that was in your life, uh, good or bad. Sometimes it's uh, it's food is one of the things that sometimes we'll eat something. Um, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, I make noodles. Uh, Grandma used to do that, and it's been a tradition that got passed down, and we kind of remember her for that kind of thing. Um, I know here, if there's ever snickerdoodles, people point them out to me. Hey, there's snickerdoodles. As humble as Jesus was, he picked uh, unleavened bread and grape juice in remembrance. That's, that's a pretty humble, humble way to remember him, and uh, we do it each week. So uh, join with me as we do that. Dear Lord, as we take this unleavened bread, which uh, your son chose to, to represent himself, I know it was a, a time when, uh, in, in effect, it remembered a time when it was in a hurry. When you came again, they needed to pick up and go and didn't have time for the bread to rise. So they had flat bread. Well, we remember his humbleness with that as we take this. We remember his humbleness of the body that he gave on the cross. We could have called 10,000 angels. He could have, we like to think that he could have even found another way. And I know that was one of his requests for you, if there is another way. But humbly hung on the cross and died so, uh, so we don't have to. Father, uh, we know that with that last breath that comes, as much as we miss those that we love, we're thankful that life will go on through your Son. Father, we ask that you bless our lives to bring honor to him. In his name we pray. Amen. As we continue this memorial, we're thoughtful of the, the juice that he chose. As commonplace as it was, it was everywhere. It's my understanding that grapes grow just about anywhere and everywhere, and it's readily available worldwide, pretty much. Father, we're thankful that, uh, again, his humility, as his blood was um, ceased to pump. Blood that's the only thing in the whole universe clean enough to wash away our sin and keep it at bay. A time independent thing. It can wash away the sin of yesterday. It can wash away the sin of tomorrow. Father, we are in great debt to this. A debt we'll never be able to repay. We ask for your guidance. We ask for soft hearts. We ask that you help us to let our light shine, the light that you gave us, help it shine in the world around us so desperately needed there. May we remember your son. May we remember his life, his teachings, his miracles, and his humility. 
his love and mercy which he brought to us. In his name we pray. Amen. This time we've said support this time to offer a prayer for the offering. We don't pass a basket. We've got boxes on the back wall, which you can just drop a check or cash into from there. We've also got electronic ways to do that. If you are interested in doing it that way, see me. I got the link. I haven't really we haven't really made it public, but we got ways to do it too. But uh Father, we pray, uh it's the time to pray for that. Father, we ask that you bless this offering, bless these funds. Bless the, the, the uh, elders with wisdom to oversee them. Father, we know we're all judged. We're judged on what we give. We know the elders are judged by God on how these funds are distributed. Father, we ask for your blessings on the benevolence, that it touches lives and makes things possible to get ahead. Sometimes it ends up being a, a, a rent payment or electricity or even a tank of gas. Father, we also are mindful of the kids in Mount Dora, that uh, it gives them a safe haven for a while. We're thankful for the story of Rebecca that was in the bulletin just a couple weeks ago and the single parents program that benefited her and she can now stand on her feet. We're thankful for, for men like Barry Rosie and Chris Carter and uh, Dennis and um, Campion, Ariton, Agrippa and Peter who uh, Bring the word to places that we will never get to. We're thankful for their efforts. We're thankful that there are open hearts, soft hearts and open minds which receive that. And we're thankful for that effort. Father, we're also mindful of our, our education programs, the, uh, the fellowship um, fellowship events, the uh, even the, the work of the getting the grass mowed, the air conditioners fixed, putting gas into Jesus, man. And of course, uh, the salary for Matt, that he doesn't have to go out and find another job, that he can concentrate on the efforts here. Efforts which quite honestly aren't time clock dependent. He can spend time with someone who needs, needs an ear to listen, or go to the hospital, or prepare a sermon. Father, we ask for your blessings on, on this congregation. We uh, use the funds to grow your kingdom reach people who uh, may not may reach any further. Father, let me not leave out the food pantry, which is tomorrow. We know a lot of people come past here and they'll get a small sack of groceries, maybe some bread and some produce. Maybe, may they remember that it comes from you, and not the smiling face that talks to them, but it all comes from you. Father, we hope to add their names to the kingdom too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, I'm full of surprises anyway. Most of the time, I look at this one as a Christmas song, but actually in our hymnal it is not. So let's sing. Oh, come. Good evening, church. Glad to be with you all again. Um, I didn't expect to be back so soon, but here I am. Uh, and so I figured since last time I talked about uh, bearing fruit and I mentioned discipleship, but our focus was on the fact that you bear more fruit than just making disciples, right? That was our focus last time. But this time we're actually going to hone in on discipleship because it is, it is one of the most important fruits that you can bear because it's something that doesn't just affect us, right? It's not just something that affects us, but it affects the people around us and uh, the church, right? It affects God's kingdom. Uh, it's how we grow the kingdom of God. We mentioned that, Doug mentioned that in the prayer, right? That the funds are going to go towards reaching other people. Um, that's growth in the kingdom and that's, that's discipleship, right? Um, and so that's what we're going to look at uh, this evening is just a just to hone in and focus on discipleship. So I wanted to start in Luke 24 uh, because it's a hard place to start. It's a hard teaching of Christ. Um, he had a lot of people that accompanied him everywhere he went, right? And that's what we see at the beginning of this in verse 25. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, right? And that kind of, that sounds kind of harsh. <laughs> Hold on. I, uh, you know, I just had son not that long ago. And so when I come across this and I read this and it says, you got to hate even your own kids. I'm like, well, that's really impossible for me right now. Uh, just had them. Uh, really love them a whole lot. Uh, but one of the things I want to point out, and it's honestly, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bad translation. Uh, really, it's not actually hate, but a lesser form of love. Um, and it's something that you see in other places in the Gospels where a word is translated as hate, uh, but it's a lesser form of love, right? You cannot love even your own family. 
even your own family, even those who are most dear to you, who might even be more dear to you than your father and your mother, your wife and your children, you can't love anybody more than me. They can't have my place. I take that place, right? Why? Because I and the Father are one, right? So, and if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow after me and be my disciple, right? You cannot allow those connections to hinder your relationship with me. And also, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, right? And so, that probably took a whole new meaning once Christ was crucified on it. Right? But he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's going to be hard things that you have to go through, that you have to experience, that you have to do, that you have to work through. Could be trials, could be temptations, uh, could be consequences to your own actions, right? Whatever it may be, you have to bear those things, right? It, it's your responsibility to bear those things. The great thing is that we don't have to bear them alone. And the great thing about becoming a disciple of Christ is that <laughs> there's other disciples that are going to help you become a more effective disciple. Because it's the way that Christ set up the church, right? And so we go to John 13, uh, and we got to remember this, right? So once, once we've started that process of, you know, we want to go out and start adhering to this, start making disciples, right? We want to bear that kind of fruit. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 13, verses 16 through 17, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And in Matthew 10, verses 24 through 25, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beals Bull, how much more will they malign those of his household, right? And so to remember who we are, okay, we're going to come to resemble Christ, right? When we become a disciple and we go down that road, we're taking it seriously. We're trying to bear fruit. We're out there. We're sharing the message. We're a messenger. We're a servant, right? So we're out there. We're sowing. We're scattering seed. We're doing all of the things that Christ has told us to do in order to help cultivate disciples in the kingdom, right? Understand that you'll never be greater than your master, right? But there's also the other perspective that a disciple's not above his teacher, right? And so you'll always, at some point, when you came to the faith, somebody took you under their wing. Somebody decided that they were going to take the time to invest in you in the way that Christ invested in them, right? And so as they bring you to Christ, ultimately, because he's the disciple maker, as we're bringing them to Christ, we understand our place, too. Right? We don't take the place of Christ. <laughs> Christ reigns over all, right? nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. You're never going to be Christ. You are never meant to be Christ. Christ was always meant to be who he was, the one, the only, the Holy Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the one that it's all about, right? So you were never meant to be Him. It's just enough for us to be like Him, right? That will be enough that we can, that we can start to show people why it's valuable 
to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just to be like him, right? Okay, but there's also this stark reminder he gives us at the end of 25. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is basically Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? So when you go out and you start trying to make disciples, do not be surprised when it gets thrown back in your face by the world. <laughs> do not be surprised when they, as Christ is saying, malign you because of him. Right? It's because of his name. So in Matthew 28, this is the, this is the call that we all receive. Right? This isn't just a call for the apostles at the time, the 12 apostles. No, this was a call for all people who would become disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here's the, see, this is the best part about making disciples. You know, we always, or at least I think, I think that one of the problems we have and why a lot of people kind of get uh, cold feet on getting that invested in, in discipleship is because a lot of times we think we're doing it alone. A lot of times we think it's dependent upon us. Like, we got to go out there. We got to sow that seed. We got to water that plant. We got to trim those weeds. We got we to keep the hedges up. We got to do all these different things. But we're not alone even in all of that. Even if we attempted to do it all by ourselves, which we can't, but even if we attempted to, guess who's always with you, no matter what? Jesus Christ. The disciple maker. You're so worried about how you're going to be good enough to make somebody want to be a disciple. You don't have to be good enough. You just got to look like him. Act like him. Talk like him. And when people see that, they realize it's not really about you. It's actually about him. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> right? It's actually about them. It's actually about, it's about Christ. Right? So he's always with us. Okay? And here's the best part. Here's the best part. It's directly dependent upon what you put in. Right? It's directly dependent upon what you put in. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this. Now, this just so happens to be in the chapter that we tend to think about as it's that God loves a cheerful giver. Right? We talk about that with offerings a lot. Okay? But this isn't just financial. Right? This isn't just money. This isn't just monetary. I think that this has spiritual implications as well as physical. Right? This is why I love the word. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, right? And I know that you've heard this probably a lot when people are talking about how we got to be more giving, okay? Be more giving, you know, come out your pocket a little bit. But it's not just about that. You see, it's also about giving of yourself, right? And you have to decide in your heart, how, how involved do I want to get, right? In the same way that Christ tells them, if you're going to think about becoming my disciple, don't you want to first sit down and count the cost of what it takes to be my disciple? Don't you, you don't want to be like that king, right, that sets out to build a tower, gets halfway done, and can't finish it. Because what are they going to say? Well, he started the journey, but he never made it. 
Okay, so you've got to decide in your heart, you've got to make that choice. How involved do you want to get? How many disciples do you really want to try and make? Do you want to make your life's work in Christ about making disciples, right? And if you do decide that, make sure it's not reluctantly or under compulsion. Make sure it's something that you genuinely and truly want to do. It's, God says, I wish you were cold or hot, but as it is, you're lukewarm. You're neither. And I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's to one of the churches. That's a letter to one of the churches in Revelation, right? So in the same concept, Paul is explaining here, when we go about the business of God and we are sowing seed and then reaping a harvest because of that, it's dependent upon what you put in, right? He says this in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right? See, here's the, here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. It's the thing that I was always worried about was, you know, there's going to come a time where, you know, I'm going to come to somebody. I'm going to be talking to them. I'm going to be trying to talk to them about why Christ is important, why they should just give church a chance, right? And I'm not going to have the words that I need, you know? So I got to make sure I do all this studying beforehand. I really got to get extremely prepared before I ever try to go out there. And that's what I love about this verse, because it's God who supplies the seed to you, right? And not only that, but if you have decided in your heart that it's disciples you want to make, not only will he supply seed to you, the sower, and bread, right, to keep you sustained, keep you going, but he will also supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Why? So that you can have an increased harvest of righteousness. See, one of the things I started to notice about discipleship, especially when looking at the stuff that Paul talks about, is there's a certain uh, amount of investment that goes along with making disciples, right? Once you've decided in your heart, this is what you want to do. Once you have made it known to God, you've started to apply yourself in that way. Now you're going out and looking for opportunities. When you find someone that you see that they've got to be good soil. I have got to find a way to sow this seed. I've got to find a way to, for them to receive the implanted word in their heart, right? And I looked at some examples that Paul shows us through Acts, right? Just simply doing his ministry. So here's a few people, right, that Paul invested in. You got Silas and Timothy, right? They arrived from Macedonia, Timothy and Erastus. And these are just a few, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, that's why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, right? And you, you can already see the kind of relationship that Paul has with Timothy just by the way that he sends them to different, he sends them to different places. You know what Timothy started off as? Timothy started off as a letter carrier. That's what he was. Paul would write something to one of the churches. He'd say, Timothy, here, take this to that church. Come back with a report for me of how they reacted to it, right? He would also... Uh, Timothy was also entrusted. He was one of the people that helped him take up the collection for the saints, which is what the occasion for 2 Corinthians 9 was. Right? So he had all these responsibilities he was given him. Okay? But there was a progression that happened in that process for Timothy. Right? And you can see 
the growth that happens for Timothy because once Paul has invested a lot of time, what we see in Acts, right? He's invested a lot of time. He's taken him to him a lot of different places. Timothy's gotten to see a lot of different things. Well, now he's writing his own letters specifically to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, what's he telling Timothy to do? Command and teach these things. You see, the disciple has now become a teacher, but he's still a disciple in Christ. You see, you don't ever stop being a disciple. Paul's still a disciple in Christ. But here he is, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. I mean, it sounds like exactly what we do at church, right? So what did Paul do? Paul invested into a disciple, which was Timothy, right? Who then became specifically someone who went out and also did the things that Paul was doing. What was he doing? He was being an evangelist. He was going out and planting. He was going out and sowing. And he was finding people, because there's other places in Timothy, where Paul admonishes him and says, these are the kinds of people you want to look for. These are going to be your pillars in your church. Okay? And you want to bring these kinds of people together, but you still want to command and teach them the truth. Right? Okay? But it also requires endurance. Because there's a lot more people that Paul worked with than just Timothy. And not all of those people that Paul worked with, besides Timothy, um, stayed in the race. And they were people that Paul was discipling. They were people that Paul was working with. Their talk will spread like gangrene, he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, warning him about the way that false teachers can um, really cause a problem in the church. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Right? Those were people that he worked with. Do your best to come to me soon, telling Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Okay, that's somebody that Paul, that was, that was a disciple. He was investing in him and it did not pay out, right? <laughs> okay, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 16. At first, at my first defense, who came to stand by Paul when he got arrested? What's he say? Nobody. They all deserted me. But look at what he says. Because <laughs> Paul knows it's not about him. Says, may it not be counted or charged against them, right? And I also want to point this out to you with Hymenaeus and Philetus. Does, it, does Paul say, and you can go and read the rest of the chapter, does Paul say that they have swerved from the truth never to return again? Does he say that they have chosen to love the world over God and they ain't never coming back? Oh, he sure doesn't. He says they have swerved from the truth. That also means that they can come back to the truth. Okay, it says Demas. Did it say Demas is gone forever? <laughs> we know he's gone. No. It says in verse 10 that he's in love with this present world. But that doesn't mean that in the future his mind will change. Because it can, right? Okay, and same thing. Even though they all deserted him, did Paul want God to revoke their privileges from them? Did Paul want God to... No, he says, may it not be charged against them. And why does he say that? 
Why does he say that? Because when you're sowing seed, not everything takes root. Okay? He told them many things in a parable. Matthew 13, 3 through 6. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the bird came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. That takes time, right? And I've been, you know, last time I was talking about my vegetable garden, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's one of the things I think that God's using to teach me right now. So what I noticed, right, I had all, I had all these nice, beautiful peppers on, on, on this tiny little pepper plant. I don't even know how I grew peppers. The peppers were almost touching the ground. <laughs> they were so big. And it started losing all its leaves. And I was like, you know, I should probably pick that. Uh, before the plant just dies altogether. Um, and so I did that, and it's just slowly dying. <laughs> it's, just, it's just withering away to nothing. It's dropping all its leaves. Maybe it'll come back. I'm going to leave it planted <laughs> in the ground to see if it can come back. But it was just slowly withering away, right? And I think about, in respect to what, to what Jesus is talking about here, these are people that it sounds like to me, if they had some support, they might not have withered away. Sounds to me like if somebody would have come by and dropped some fresh soil for them, they might not have withered away, right? Keep that in mind as we go through. Okay, so discipleship also requires patience. It requires patience. It requires endurance. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna sow. You're going to scatter seed. You're going to you know, you're gonna, you're gonna put Christ out there in the world, but not everything's going to take root. And not only that, some things look like they're going to take root, and then it appears as though they've fallen away, but then, and then, but then they come back. So we got to be patient, because we never know the work that God can do in somebody's heart and in somebody's life. We never know. God does, but we don't. So I want you to look at this. I always love using this example. Acts 15, there arose a sharp disagreement between who? Between Paul and Barnabas. What was the, what was the disagreement over? The disagreement was over the fact that Mark did not show up when he was supposed to. He abandoned them, and he went to a different place, right? Now, here's what's interesting. So Barnabas, that's Mark's his cousin. So Barnabas is probably saying to Paul, Paul, I can't just not take him. That's my cousin. You understand how mad my family's going to be? <laughs> like, you got to work with me here. And Paul's like, absolutely not. I could imagine Paul probably quoting Christ. Hey, man, he looked back from the plow. You know, he ain't fit for the work. So I don't need him, right? And they had a sharp disagreement. That means that neither party was really thrilled about how it went down. And they parted ways, right? But I want you to see this. See, it all comes back around. Even though Paul was very hard on Mark at that point in time, and he was, <laughs> Because discipleship is a group effort, and Barnabas took Mark, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the chapter, by the way, that we've been looking at, where Paul has already expressed that all these people deserted him, right? All these different people deserted him, they abandoned him, you know, they've swerved from the truth, they've walked away, they've done all these different things. Luke alone is with me, but look what he says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. For ministry, right? And not only that, Colossians 4, 
This is when he's in chains. This is when Paul is now on house arrest. This is when, when Paul has a soldier chained to him all the time. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. That's the guy that's kind of, you know, he's here too. Uh, but who else is there? Who else is there in, in one of Paul's darkest moments when maybe he might have needed the encouragement? That disciple, Mark, he's there. And so if we're patient, the amazing thing that God can do with the seed that we have sown is that even if it doesn't take root at first, even if it doesn't grow at first and it just sits in that soil, all it takes is someone coming by and watering that seed and suddenly there's growth. Right? Suddenly, even though the seeds may fall among the thorns and the thorns grow up and choke them, if we are remembering that discipleship is a group effort. Discipleship is a thing that the church does, not an individual does, right? If we're remembering that, then someone will come along and clear out those thorns when they see the plant growing. Someone will come along and say, hey, I see you've got a lot of burdens, and I want to help you bear those. Suddenly, those things might not seem as bad to that individual who's trying to grow in the Lord, but it seems like life is just out to get them. And of course, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So what do we take from this, right? Discipleship's a group effort. You've heard it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes the church to raise a disciple of Christ. That's just the reality, right? For Mark, it took not just Paul, not just Barnabas. You probably didn't know this either. Maybe you did. You probably didn't know this. But Mark also, Mark also uh, had a relationship with uh, Peter. And if you go back in Acts, and you look at when Peter got arrested, you remember that? And he's in prison. And then literally God does like, you know, a holy prison breakout, <laughs> right? And gets, gets Peter out of there. And he shows back up at the house. And he's knocking. And, and he's like, hey, let me in. And the, the, the girl that answered the door goes back and is like, hey, everybody, Peter's here. And somebody responds to her and says, that's not possible. That's not Peter. Right? Guess who else was there? Mark. Well, imagine that. You see, God's funny like that because sometimes it takes multiple touches, right? How about the guy that was blind and, got, and, and Jesus said, here, let me put some mud on your eyes and uh, let me wash it away. And can you see? And he says, kind of, but there's it looks like trees. The people look like trees walking around. You remember that? And then he went and he did it again, and then he could see. You think Jesus couldn't heal him on the first time? Of course he could. So why did he do it? Because it's meant to show us that sometimes some people, they require an extra touch. Some people require something else that somebody else might have. And that's the beauty of the church. <laughs> Because the church is made up from people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of culture. And it doesn't matter what you're going through at any given point in time. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, you're going through the things you're going through because you're going to end up helping somebody else in the brotherhood at some point. Somewhere along the line in the church, somewhere along the line in the kingdom, you're going to be that person. That the person that started that discipleship effort can't continue. But that's what's amazing about God, is he brings people into our life at different times, because after Paul 
and Barnabas had their big, sharp disagreement and everything else, who did Paul meet shortly after that? Oh, a guy named Apollos. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And that, honestly, I should have highlighted that in red, but the, the, the slide would have just... It just would have been multicolored. <laughs> I, was, I didn't highlight that, but I want you to, I really want to point that out. First of all, he acknowledges we're not anything. It's all about Christ, right? We're servants through whom you believed. But most importantly, as the Lord assigned to each. You see, Paul understands that he's not the right guy for everybody. Just like Apollo's not the right guy for everybody, right? But between Paul and Apollos, they did a lot of good work, didn't they? Yeah, they did. You see, I planted, he says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Remember what Christ said, apart from me, if your branch is not connected to me, the vine, apart from me, you can't do anything. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. You've got to bear your own cross. You've got to bear your own load. You've got to bear your own work. But it doesn't mean that people can't help you. Because <laughs> that's the way that Christ set it up. Why? Because he wants us to succeed. That's why. And here's the other thing. Disciples are not matured overnight. It requires investing, endurance, and patience as God gives growth. And that growth can come in various ways and at various times. Right? It can come through trial, it can come through temptation, it can come through consequence, or it can come simply through blessing. God could bless somebody so immeasurably, something that they so did not expect, that it makes them fully invested. Right? And suddenly they start growing daily, weekly, monthly. Right? And so I thought about this, um, and I couldn't help but think about 1 Peter, because... You know, one of the things that Paul says to him is, don't let people look down on you for your youth, right? And I know that Timothy was definitely young, uh, especially com by comparison to Paul, but he was probably more like around my age. He was in his 30s, probably. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And I think we got to keep this in perspective, right? That when people come to Christ, and it does not matter, if they grew up in the church their whole life, or they didn't come to Christ until they were 50, when they realize who he is, and they lay down their life and say, it's your will, not mine. You are the master of my life. You are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, right? You are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I will serve you with my life. When people come to that realization, they're babies in Christ, okay? They could be 55, but they're still a babe in Christ. Right? And so, you got to take time. And I think about how fast Micah's growing, and it's incredibly fast. <laughs> incredibly fast. It's six months already, and I'm like, whoa. He's huge. Like, he was big when he was born, but compared to what he is now, six months later, boy, he's huge. He's growing so fast, but at the same time, he's still tiny. Right? Like, I look at him, and I'm like, he's so big, but then I put his hand in mine, and I'm like, that's a tiny hand. It takes time for us to grow up into salvation in the same way that it takes time for newborns and for infants to grow and to mature and to become 
productive people, man. It's, it's the same in our relationship with God, right? It doesn't matter when you start. You start off as a babe and you grow up into salvation. But also, as you mature, as you mature, before I say that, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you really can't leave that off because it's a very important qualifying verse. Do you want this life? Are you going to choose it? You've got to decide it in your heart, right? Do you want this life? You've got to choose it. If, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, right, then do these things. Okay, so it still comes down to a choice. And what we can't do, as badly as we want everybody to become a disciple of Christ, fully invested themselves, you can't make the choice for them. So we have to take the investment that we've put in, and we have to patiently endure whatever seasons of life or times that these people go through until they get to a place where they're ready to be that kind of disciple. And we've got to be patient as God has been patient with us. We've got to remember that it is the same guy, Paul. Oh, I'm going over time. It's the same guy, Paul. I'm sorry, Peter. <laughs> Peter that said, God is patient. And he wants all people to come to repentance. All of them. That includes people who started that life of discipleship and may have swerved from the truth. So be patient with people because you never know the kind of fruit, the kind of harvest that God can produce as long as we are sowing and we are watering. So the question for us is, where are we at in this discipleship process? Are we still being discipled? Right? Um, to a certain extent, that process will forever continue as long as we are in Christ. Right? Or have we become more like a Timothy and we're ready to get out there and we're ready to start recruiting disciples. We're ready to go out there and start finding people, good soil, or maybe even some rough soil that we can kind of add some water, stir up a little bit, maybe allow God to break up that hard ground so that we can sow some seed. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you want to start this life for the first time. I don't know. But no matter where you're at, I hope that you know that this is a place where it can be done. I know I'm going long, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. If I can. I'll tell you what, man. I had a kid, and now, like, man, stuff gets me now. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to talk right now, and I can't. <laughs> I will say this. I've personally been through this process because when I came to Christ, I was 19 years old. And I think about that now, and that was 14 years ago. And I think about how far God's brought me, but more importantly, more importantly, I think about all the different people that God placed into my life. And a lot of those people came from here. So I want you guys to know that. Some of them people are still here. <laughs> uh, 
And some of those people are no longer with us. Right? But I also want you to know and understand that you never know. You never know how much you may be watering a seed that's been planted. And so I hope and pray that if you've made this decision already, that you see the importance of the fruit of discipleship. Because it's how we grow. It's how God adds to our number daily. It's how God provides sustainable growth for his church. I hope and pray this was an encouragement. If you have any need at all, won't you come all together? We stand and we sing. sing majesty. Thank you, Nick. It's a good message to hit yourself, just as, as good as it hits anybody else. It's a good testimony on that. Uh, I know myself, I'm closing in on half a life as, Christ, as a Christian, and I wouldn't want it any other way. So, thank you. Um, grab yourself a bulletin, lots of stuff going on. Um, you know, we'll start with a timetable here. Um, this week, tomorrow is our food pantry. The food pantry is an all-day thing. They start picking up uh, produce and stuff at 8-something. So they're going to pick up produce from Hummingbird. They give it a uh, packet. They give stuff away in the afternoon, and there's always cleanup. So it's a lot of a lot of workers, a lot of a uh, lot of good touch on our community. 
Um, we're starting to see the benefits of people wanting to stab Bible studies and stuff from that. And they're getting prayers, they're getting Bible studies. We're making a difference on that too. So the food pantry is tomorrow. On Thursday, Thursday is our senior adult white elephant party. And as the white elephant is described in the bulletin, as I stole it off Facebook, it says, something you already have, but you don't want any longer, but you are sure someone else would love. So I may be willing to part with my box set of Britney Spears CDs, but if Camille brings my cat, give me a call, okay? I want the cat back, so. You get the idea now, right? Okay, good. Have fun with that. And there will be food with that. Uh, they're providing some kind of meat, and uh, you're supposed to bring sides and drinks, I believe. On Friday night, we're having our Christmas party. It's a Mexican fiesta. The festivities start at 5.30, and the dinner starts at 6. So come with that. I don't know if you're supposed to dress up with uh, sombreros and stuff, but, you know, hey, it's Christmas. Why not? <laughs> wear pictures of Santa Claus. You can wear that, too. Uh, it says bring drinks and desserts to share. Um, so come with that. That's Saturday night. Um, the following Saturday night will be our Mount Dora Christmas. Uh, we'd like gifts back this coming weekend um, so we can make sure we have everything so none of the kids get left out. And then the uh, Mount Dora is coming over on the following Saturday, the 16th. And uh, we'll have dinner at 5 with the taco bar. Um, and we're going to have some fun with the kids and stuff about 4.30. So come join us for that. It's always fun to see kids have fun with their stuff, bouncing balls, remote control cars, somebody rides a bike through the building. It's going to happen. So it's total chaos. It's going to be fun. So come join us for that. Um, all right. What else we got? Um, carpets are being cleaned on Tuesday. So, you know, it's going to be... Stay away if you can. It'll be a good idea. They're going to clean the, the hallways and the foyer and the fellowship rooms, my understanding. Um, we're collecting money for a preacher gift. That's our worst kept secret in the building. See me or William, Charlie or Brent. We're collecting money for that to give the mat next week at a Christmas party or Saturday at the Christmas party. Also, Nicaragua. Dennis is we're collecting money for Dennis for something he calls Sarepta. Sarepta is a city that's in the Old Testament. There's a widow that only has handful of flour and a little bit of oil. She makes something for Elijah. Uh, she's willingly gives it away even though she has nothing. And that's their idea to help people who have nothing too. So we're trying to collect $750 and send it on to Dennis. If you'd like to donate it to that, give it to us and we'll pass it along too. Um, you know, I, I left uh, East Orange out of our prayer when I talked about missions and stuff this evening. Uh, East Orange has done a fantastic job there. It's a, it's a place where... Uh, it needs a church. It needs a church. And I'm thankful to have been able to go over there recently and I'll be a part of that. Um, on to the prayer, prayer list. Updates. Arliss, uh, Arliss Nobles, um, she has tested positive for the Rona. She is asymptomatic, which is good. She's not sick, uh, but she does have that. Mitzi, um, she has a permanent drain installed. Her blood work numbers are up, so she's on full treatment for her cancer. So. Keep missing her prayers. It's not a not an easy place to be. John Larson is going this week to hear the results from the oncology board on the treatment plan for him. Um, surgery is not the best option, my understanding, so he'll probably be doing some kind of infusion treatment from there. Don Beverly Don Seal had hip surgery on Monday. She's in no pain. She's in Orlando for rehab and therapy. Jimmy said that she is doing well, so she's doing great. 
David Farr, the preacher at Concord Street, had uh, unexpected brain surgery this week. I understand he had a tumor. They took it out. I saw a picture of him on Facebook. He is eager to get out of the uh, intensive care and get home to his kids. So that's great. Uh, Lillian Lawrence was a former member here. Um, she passed away last night. We've been informed. So, um, Rose King, Bertha's sister, had reconstructive knee surgery yesterday. Tom Eichmeyer, a friend of Jay Collins, uh, he's had a PET scan. He's on searches last, last round of chemo this week, I guess tomorrow. Uh, he's feeling pretty good, all things considered. And uh, also Alfred Arthur, that's the son of Wanda, Wanda Bauer. He's got a mass in his lung. Uh, he couldn't make it to the oncologist due to his paranoia. Um, that's something to pray for. You can't get treatment if you can't get to the doctor. So to help to get it out under control so he can get there. Join us this week, Wednesday night. We're having class right here. We're back in a Proverbs, Proverbs to live by. So it's always a fun time if you're available on Wednesday night. Otherwise, check it out on YouTube or something. But uh, join us if you can. Let your light shine. The world needs it. Maybe I'll get my pitch right on this one. Um, uh, we're going to sing this, and then Chris is going to come and give a closing prayer. I know Sometimes I feel like I'm singing alone up here. I was singing deep in
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the many rich gifts that we have in our lives because we know all good things come from Thee. We thank you for the lesson we heard this evening. Help us to apply it to our lives and to live, live our lives by it and all the other wonderful lessons we've learned here. Help us to take everything we learn here, prove it for ourselves and to govern our lives by. Help us to let our light shine out in the world that try to extinguish our light so that we can't prove, we can't show your path so that they can be saved and make it to heaven eventually. We ask that you be with us as we go our separate ways, keep us safe and healthy so that we can return again to the next appointed time. Please be with our loved ones wherever they may be. Keep them safe and healthy so that we can see them again really soon. Please be with the ones that were mentioned earlier. Give them back their much-needed health and be with the doctors that are tending to them. Let everything go well. All this we pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. <clears throat>